Were you a philosophy versus improv supporter, you would have gotten this episode weeks ago. Plus a little bonus episode where we talked about what we might do for season two, plus the bonus talking with Jack at the end of this episode, and you wouldn't have to hear me read any ads. If any of that sounds appealing, go to philosophyimprov.com slash support. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. My name is Bill Arnett, an improv shaman curious about philosophy. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, a philosophy high priest worshiping at the altar of improv. And our special guest today, introduce yourself. I'm Jack Symes, and I'm an improviser of philosophy. Hmm. And together we are Philosophy versus Improvisation. I thought we were saying that at the same time, sorry. No, no. (laughs) That was new to Mark. (laughs) You're across the pond. We've never talked to somebody across the pond before on this show. So you're teaching right now? Tell the folks your your professional bona fides. What am I doing? I'm doing the Pan's Like Ass Philosophy podcast, and Mm -hmm, maybe mm -hmm. some listeners might be familiar with that. We're still going. I'm editing a little book series, which I'm keen to promote right from the get-go here, uh, <laughs> talkingaboutphilosophy.com. It's a brilliant book which combines philosophy and comedy. So if you like philosophy versus improv, then hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy the book. And I'm here at the University of Liverpool, a bit of teaching, a bit of research coming towards the end of my PhD here. So yeah, it's all good fun. Do you like Liverpool? Is it nice? Yeah, it's very wet and windy at the moment. But okay. Okay. As far as cities go, I'm, I'm a big fan. I've been here for since like 2011 now. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so quite a long time. Have you ever visited, mm-hmm. Bill, the UK? I have visited. I have visited mostly the South West. I've enjoyed my time. I've got some friends in the improv scene. Yeah. And they have told me that culturally, the North of the UK is the South of the United States and the South of the United States is the more rural and everything that comes with rural geopolitically you will find in the north of England, whereas in the south of England, it's more... This is news to Jack, apparently. Yeah, what would you characterize as what's going on in South America? Like, what's the geopolitical... Oh, oh, oh I meant South North America, South of the United States. United States Southern. South. In other words, Ticks. Southern. That's yes. what he's saying. <laughs> Rednecks. Yeah. I'm not going to comment on that because I live in the north of England. <laughs> Thanks for trying yes. to get me persecuted. By the, well, uh, there are wonderful islands of left-wing politics all across the United States, south, and yes. But just archetypically, stereotypically, if we want to be mean, that's what I was told. And that's what that's we're here for, think of it. as what yeah. that's the job today. Uh, I was nice enough to uh, actually break the rule and tell Bill before we started what the topic was going to be today. Oh, cool. I I figured it's right in the name of your podcast, the Panpsychast, that we were going to talk about panpsychism because I thought maybe that he wanted to pick Mm -hmm. an improv thing that had something to do with, well, give us the the sort of thumbnail definition of what panpsychism is, Jack. It's psychic bread, right? It's like, great, that's a really good start, Bill. Like, okay. The people are going to be freaked out by, okay, I'll end with the fact there's no psychic bread. Let's start with consciousness is the problem, right? So we've just got this wet black and white brain. And the question is, how do all these physical processes give rise to like vivid technical experience? So when I drum the keys on my keyboard or speak into my microphone or when my camera sees me, 
or my camera takes in visual information, it doesn't really see me or, or hear me through the microphone or feel it when I drum the keys on the keyboard. So why is it when this information goes into a brain, is there something it's like to experience? And why do I feel it when you drum my keys? Why do I hear it when you sing down my microphone? Why do I see things when you dance in front of my camera? Obviously, because the mind of God shares its images with our mind, that's the only answer. All right, but go on. There's a heathen answer, or is that what you're saying? You could be a God-fearing man, or you could believe in, you could be a heathen, and you could embrace panpsychism. It's a philosophy for any Jack and Jill on the hill, and what it says is that consciousness is a pervasive and ubiquitous feature of the cosmos. And what that means is, let's take micro-psychism, Micropsychists say that there's a little bit of consciousness in every fundamental physical thing. Or you might be a cosmopsychist and say, no, the universe is one big conscious mind and that breaks down into little minds. So it's designed to explain how it is that consciousness, that what it's likeness, which I described a moment ago, how does that fit into a scientific understanding of reality? Okay, so the, would the opposite be that consciousness only exists in humanity and lesser life forms at a less and less extent until you get uh, a bacteria that says, no, 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 it's, it has zero consciousness. It, would that be the opposite or an opposite? I don't think it's an, an opposite. I think the panpsychists can embrace something like that. Like you get funda- more fundamental or primitive, rudimentary types of consciousness the further you go down the non-human animal kingdom and into plant life, etc. But no, I think any view, Bill's got this like problem to face as, how is it that if it's just physical stuff, why is there something it's like to be me? If I replicated you, Bill, and like if I put you in a cloning machine and cloned every single physical property about you, would consciousness, that what it's likeness, necessarily follow? And it doesn't look like you get that. You can't deduce from the physical facts alone that consciousness will necessarily be there. Does that make sense? It does. If you could take a copy of me and put it in an alternate universe with all the exact same experiences that I've had up until this point, would alternate me be having this conversation with alternate you? Yeah, would there be something it's like for you to have this conversation? Or would you just be a, a zombie as they, or an imitation man, as the philosophers like to call them? Okay, imitation man. Okay. What do you make I, of I'm this, Mark? This. You've uh, came across <laughs> panpsychism a few times, I'm sure. Well, it always sounds much more crazy and fun than it actually is because it is, <laughs> it sounds uh, like a neighbor to pantheism. The notion that everything is alive, you know, everything that has, has God in it. There's still, I guess, some of that left, but as you said, the forms of consciousness get less and less impressive. So it almost becomes, correct me if I'm wrong, a matter of basic mathematical metaphysics that sort of from any, any point in space, there is a point of view. Well, yeah. Okay. So technically, if there were something that had the cognition to deal with that in that spot, then it would have that point of view. But until you actually have structures that are complex enough to have some sort of be able to do something with regard to that point of view. So even a paramecium, if it receives a stimulus, can react to that stimulus. Okay. That's a kind of consciousness. If you want to call it a proto consciousness, Mm -hmm. the idea that there is something it is like to be the paramecium. Even though the paramecium has no sense organs, so that there is no way that it could, well, what is it like? What is the qualitative? Like, it has to have some sort of apparatus for there to be a feel. So to say that there is a, a point of view or a bit of proto-consciousness in a, an electron seems yeah. almost meaningless to me. It is merely just a way of saying that we don't need any magic to come along 
when you get a system that's complex enough for, Mm -hmm. oh, now consciousness moves in. Like we don't need that because there was already sort of the basic building blocks of consciousness were already there from the start. You don't even need me, eh? I thought you put that really well. That's a that's a really good <laughs> reflection on it. So yeah, you might think that integrated information theory, which is a popular form of like you might say physicalism, there are only physical processes in the world and nothing over and above them. But integrated information theory says once you get physical information that's integrated enough and reaches what they call like maximum phi or something, that once physical stuff comes together in that integrated way, eventually you'll get consciousness. So yeah, everything on that view has like the potential to be conscious. And so when they, like, as you say, when they come together in these complex ways, then you get unified, interesting types of consciousness. But on the panpsychist views as well, if you embrace that fully panpsychist view as we articulated a moment ago, yeah, that kind of rudimentary consciousness that is there at the ground level, the most primitive form is going to be really alien. And like you say, it's almost meaningless to talk about it because it's going to be so so unlike what we're going to be able to get our heads around. And <laughs> it's so primitive that, what, like, what kind of thoughts can an electron have? Right. I, I doubt it's going to like be bursting with joy. I sure, love that proton, <laughs> man! I love that proton. Have you guys had? You guys been around a proton? Outstanding. You gotta, you gotta figure that out. That's great. Get you a proton. That's what an electron's thinking, just twenty four seven. Now, are you are you making us? Are you pulling us into the scene? Or you were we were just talking before we got on about how maybe we should make these scenes. <laughs> A literal less literally about <laughs> about the philosophy. In fact, we just said that there is nothing that it is like to be an electron or a proton. So if we are, you know, for instance, going to be doing a scene from the point of views of electrons and protons, we're already violating by the very <laughs> premise. But I'm open to however we want to do this. Either Bill, did you have something in mind, or or even Jack, knowing the format of this and knowing what you were coming up with. If you even had a suggestion, whether now or later, on how to start a scene here, fight for it. Well, Jack, do you have much improv know-how? Have you done any before? I haven't done any improv before. Perfect. I don't know the first thing about improv, to be honest. Oh, okay. So if cut. you can ask Mark, what was lesson one, episode one? Oh, God, I thought you were going to ask. No, no, <laughs> no I was asking Mark. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You've digested the entire series before coming <laughs> on, correct? Yeah. <laughs> we have uh, already been improvising. Yes. We've already been improvising. This entire time. Your character has been philosophy teacher in Liverpool. Yeah. Cool. It's very easy to play because it's incredibly close to who you believe yourself to be. I mean, you got to work on the accent. I, I think that could, it's. <laughs> yeah. Does that make, does that make us talk about, <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's talk, very profound. You, isn't it? I, li- I like it a lot. So do the characters that we portray, do they have a different consciousness than our own consciousness? Perhaps you t- we're always improvising. Is that the underlying point? So improv is what just, Bouncing. It's no different than just doing what you're already doing, but you may not be yourself. So who am I going to be? Just just whoever you tell me I'm going to be, or do I just create somebody off the top of my head? It may be a, a multi-step process, but eventually you will land on someone that you are. Does that make sense? I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's simple. I got Mark improvising. I will hold quick. the uh, the proto version of your hand that I feel like if we break down to basic physical levels, the electrons here are pretty much the same as the electrons there. So I will hold some electrons here and thereby, uh, you know, kind of hold the, the electrons of your hand. Well, we'll keep this real simple and I'll, I'll lay down a scenario that is close to all of our lives. And I'm sure that you can dive right in. Is that oh. cool, everybody? And I've got something, a lesson as well that we can chat about as, you know, uh, during chat time uh, that I'll, I'll try to do. Here we are. 
Uh, it's t- a two bedroom, two bath, uh, washer dryer in unit, which is nice. And it's got a, 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 it's kind of a small kitchen, galley kitchen. But if you're interested, we can sign the paperwork and get you in here uh, whenever. It's, uh, it's, it's free now. The apartment's free now. I feel like I need to look at this from every, every possible angle. Can we, is the attic available for us to go up and, I'm not so interested in, in hanging. I want to, I want to see down from the attic. I want to see what that's like to look down from the attic into the rooms on the top floor. Can we do that? I'd like to look up into the attic as well, if that's okay, and see what it's like to be looked down upon from the attic. Is that something we could do? Um, there's a, I mean, there's a trap door in the closet. If you want to climb up, it's just insulation and rafters. There's nothing really up there. We don't, I mean, technically I shouldn't even let you. I mean, <laughs> If that's what you want to do, if that's what you want to do, uh, that's fine. Here, it's just in the, the, the second bedroom here right. in the closet. Oh yeah, this opens pretty easily. Okay, so there is, what is your policy on drilling holes into the ceiling so that one might look down into the various rooms, say the guest room? Don't. I would rather you all not drill holes in the ceiling. Can we drill holes in, in the walls then? Well, you can, if you need to hang a picture, that's fine. But um, I just, this, this place has been vacant for a while, so I'm really, I really want to get this done and... Uh, it's a great price, and I'll even waive the security deposit if we can get you in here. Now, does it come with any what paintings, maybe with the eyes carved out that one might drill holes behind the eyes and look out you know, upon people in the rooms? No, no. no what you see is what you get. This is, it's, so, it's so, been vacant for a while. What, what happened to the, the previous tenants? Why have it been Good endless? question. They just moved out. I don't know. I, they, they were students who were grad students at the college, and they, as they graduated and, and moved out. Uh, were they male, female? I, that's not important. Can I'm you, not even sure if I'm allowed to Can you say give us that. their just, address? Can I get your signature on the dotted line? I think this is a great place, you know? And, and I'll answer all your questions, but I would, I would, if you had any more questions that were... Jack, yeah, did, you the, the, did you bring the Did you bring the Flebo detector, the, which we can see the, uh, the patterns of the people that were in the, the room before us? The flea bow protector. I thought you. I thought you were bringing it. All right. I guess it's still in the truck. I just. I just thought. All right. So we have kind of a. a, I don't know. What's the policy on sort of doing scientific work? I mean, is this zoned? Do you have those drains and and the the emergency shower in case uh, the chemicals get in one's eyes? Do you have any of that? We don't have an emergency shower. We don't have a a wash station. But um, you know, we we have the sink. What you see is what it is, and I think it's a great place. And I'll even, we usually ask first month, last month's rent at one time. I'll ask, I'll wave last month too. All right. I'll even wave last month. Is the sound proofing good? Will the neighbors hear? Like if, if I was to like, I don't know, scream really loud, would, would they hear? <sighs> I, they might. They might. Okay. I just. Would you be willing to maybe sleep the first night here with us so that we could get an idea and we could uh, watch you and see how. How you breathe. Can I just be perfectly honest? Can I be perfectly honest with you right now? Yeah. My gut instinct is telling me, run, run, to decline your application and just eat the property tax on this place another another month. All right? That's what my gut is telling me, okay? I really need to rent this place, okay? Do you run often? Are you in good physical condition, would you say? The physical condition? No, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, like, do you, do you run very far? Like, how far would you say you could run? Just metaphorically, an eighth of a mile, if I had to. I bet I could keep up that pace for an eighth of a mile. Could you do some of that around the room right now, just so we could have that on record? Would you be more inclined to rent the, the, the apartment if I did that? Yes, because then we can, All right. we can okay. analyze that All right. using the Fleba detector later. 
you know, that, sure. that uh, allows us to track the <sighs> signatures of people who are, who are gone. Uh, I mean, <sighs> all right. I just ran around the room. Just ran around the room. All right. Look, I got extra pins and everything. Let's just go to the kitchen counter. Let's knock this out. Do you have any uh, reservations here, Jack? Do you, do you feel like we, we've got... I'm not sure if this is going to... The fact that you can't... How wide are the, the spaces behind the walls? Like, in terms of being able to sort of slip between rooms and... Six inches. It's a standard mm. two-by-four stud wall with drywall and plaster. It's not... Okay, so Cassidy can fit, but you, you can't then, Jack. And I, I, I know I can't. I think I might be able to fit if you chop me up into little pieces then i you could probably cram me through i mean i guess i don't i don't want to go through that again when we did that with davis it you know he just didn't he was never the same like i i, I need you to be able to please don't kill was, anybody just, just just don't kill they, anybody please they, don't kill davis anybody has never been so happy i i think this guy it, 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 we could certainly make him run faster if All right, we, you know what? Never mind. No, no, no. I can't. I can't. Can I can't. Improved, I can't rent right? to you. I can't rent no, to you. Let, I'm, let I'm, us pitch. Let us no, pitch. No, to no, you no, 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 no. I'm tearing up your application. You have. Okay. I, I can't. Tear up I, the I application. But would you? Would you like to run faster and quick and and for longer? No, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Guys, I can't. I'm trying to rent this place. Okay, <laughs> it's difficult when the, the, the COVID happens and the colleges. Everybody's remote. And I'm just having to pay the property tax for this thing, all right? And I just really want to rent it. You know, okay? I, I feel I like rent it. we've already gotten what we need because we can uh, review this particular slice of space-time anytime in the future. We've got the, uh, the mathematics. Can you do it from your car? Can you do uh, it yes, from your car? we can do that from the car. Well, great, well, great. All right. Perfect. Do you need a ride? No, not with you. No, I will walk. You should definitely shouldn't run. It'll take Get it forever. Out. Get out. <laughs> That's probably. Hey, we'll stop right there. Enough. We'll stop right there. That was great fun. Not bad. Not bad, Jack. You figured out pretty quickly what kind of person was your person. Not sure, really. I, I felt like I went creepy way too quickly. I think <laughs> from yeah. the moment, like from the get go, was me and Mark were just staring at each other from like the from the attic, and then yeah, I don't know where I went from there. It started off with like a small euphemism that I was really weird, and then in the end, I was just like, "We can chop you up into bits and." <laughs> you know, being some weird transhumanists. I thought you guys did a great job. We can get longer scenes by recognizing what is driving me to kick you out. And that's fine if we want the scene to end. But are there things that you could say to me to keep me on the line, keep me on the hook? Mm. What would be something you could say to me that would keep me on the hook and keep the scene going? Like ask you to show us around and I mean, lots of rooms and stuff? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Some assurances of the limits. I mean, I was I was trying to, through in a sci-fi way, get out of it being a straight uh, horror experience, though perhaps the line between those is is thin. But when the logic of it came around of being able to, as long as something has happened in space-time, at some point it can be observed using proper apparatus, then really there's no reason to be anywhere in particular. As long as you were there at some point in time, Mm-hmm. So then you could review it later. So my own internal logic by which I was conceiving of these people's plans made it so the scene did not have to continue, which was probably not, <laughs> not so good. Well, just the idea of like, I would love to hear, oh, we won't do anything illegal. You know, oh, I know it sounds like we're killing people, but we won't. Giggle, giggle, giggle. And maybe you are. Maybe you're just lying to me. I don't know. But anything that's like, and again, just like in life, what percentage of our apologies are sincere and what percentage of our apologies are, will this calm you down? If I apologize, will this calm you down? And what percentage are, oh, I really, 
I really screwed up. I really hurt this person's feelings. I did not intend that at all. It could be 50-50. I guess that's what I'm going for. Hey, Mark, real fast, and Jack as well. Imagine if you could see the ghost images of dead people where they had died all over the world. Right. And you'd probably go somewhere where there's a big war and it's just like piles and piles of these green ghostly images slumped over everywhere, you know? But that would also mean you could find a place on the globe where nobody had died. There's going to be corpses of like, or ghosts of all kinds of things. Well, just humans, just human beings and maybe Neanderthals or Neanderthals. I'm not sure when the H went away. He's saying that uh, non-human animals don't have like consciousness, uh, Bill, like spirits, souls. That's something, that's the topic for today, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, well, my, my <laughs> attempt, and I think I heard, Jack, a few, you say a few things along these lines, that my attempt to literalize what this notion of panpsychism could have been is that there's a point of view from anywhere, and that was, you know, starting with the very literal, I want to look at things from the, you know, the creepy voyeuristic thing, but getting into this, I don't know, what happened to Davis, that we've changed his consciousness so that is he a, is he a post-human, something along the lines of, and I guess there are endless equally fruitless directions that we, you know, comic directions that we could have taken this in terms of consciousness moving into animals and when is it still consciousness and these sorts of questions. I think our mistake was stuffing him in in the wall into little bits (laughs) and then insinuating that we somehow improved his ability to run. And that was a little bit confusing, but I guess he's the, there's nothing unique there in terms of consciousness right it's just like a ship sure. of theseus type problem whether or not he's the same what was his name davis is he the same mm-hmm. davis once you break him down and build him back <laughs> up again isn't he the same person yeah I think we just, maybe we just chopped up his legs and we typically think when you look at his leg that you yeah and it's it's the right kind of weird it's the right kind of weird for that scene i'll say that we love weird and improv here's my question when i got that pantheism topic mm. okay so what so what so so everything, everything's got a consciousness, even if it's a minuscule amount. Yeah. So is, is this just a solution to a philosopher-created theoretical problem of how is it that physical stuff brains could create consciousness? Well, it doesn't have to create consciousness because consciousness is already there. Like that seems potentially, Bill, do you not see the force of that as an initial problem of like, how in the hell could this physical stuff make a what it is like to be like that seems pretty and i realize it's kind of a freshman question i think it's a a really good one and in, in, in the book uh, greg miller who went on uh, the partial exam live to speak to mark and and the guys over there he answers that question in the first chapter like why should i care about this topic at all i do remember mark like ages ago i think you were doing a partial exam life episode on consciousness like maybe after Greg had been on your show and Seth Paskin said something along the lines of like, this is just a perfect example of philosophers just dealing with this intellectual problem for the sake of itself, which has no interesting implications for people on the street. But sure, like consciousness seems to be, well, first of all, it's the lens which we see the entire world through. So we should definitely think about like what our lives consist in, which is certainly consciousness. If you didn't have consciousness, would your life be meaningful? Would it matter that you started like uh, this project and finished it and started a family and all that? If you can actually experience those things, it seems like the world would be void of any type of meaning there. And you might think, well, if panpsychism is true and consciousness isn't just in humans and non-human animals, then why isn't the plant life, like the wood wide web and these vast intricate systems of 
plants and trees, why aren't we counting them as conscious creatures? Why isn't there something it's like to be them in, in all kinds of life? So it might give you a problem as to maybe you're a take animal rights quite seriously because they're, they're conscious and they can suffer. Well, what are you going to do about plant life now as well? Maybe you need to reduce your suffering there too. Yeah, there was a, uh, a humorist here in the United States named Jack Handy. I'm not sure if you've been familiar, but he had these deep thoughts with Jack Handy. And of course, anyone in the U.S. of Mark and I's age probably know him. He was on Saturday Night Live. These little, a shot of a little babbling brook and then cursive writing deep thoughts with Jack Handy. And one of them was, you know, would we be so cavalier about cutting down trees if they screamed? Well, maybe we would if they screamed all the time for no particular reason. And <laughs> yeah, Peter Singer's got a really cool essay called "If Fish Could Scream" and paints this picture of him and his dad like walking along the the shore with people fishing and saying like they've been they're suffocating, they've been dragged on these hooks for ages. Imagine the noise if they could. We certainly wouldn't think it was an enjoyable pastime because like. The romanticism yeah. and the uh, yeah. the peaceful nature of fishing would just be destroyed if all these creatures were screaming at the yeah. top of their lungs. Let us pause for a moment and do the thing that makes it possible for you to hear this show, which is have you listened to me trying to sell you something? Do you like putting things in your ears and having sound come out of those things, like podcasts, maybe, or nice music? Perhaps sound effects of approaching trains to keep you on your toes. Well, the Raycon wireless earbuds are the best way to bring audio with you for a number of reasons. They sound great. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. They offer eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. They've gotten over 48,000 five-star reviews. And here is the thing I'm supposed to stress. The new everyday earbuds have optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. What does this mean? This means they do not fall out of your head. I have big, weird ears, and so I typically do not like the little tiny earbuds. But these are very comfortable, and they will not budge. You can shake your head around. You can head bang, as the young people say. You can shake your head yes. You can shake your head no. You can do that side-to-side thing that they do in India when they don't want to tell you yes or no. You could wear these jogging, which I will do very soon because it's starting to warm up. Eurekon Everyday Earbuds look sound and feel better than ever. I really enjoy mine. I bet you will too. Right now, Philosophy versus Improv listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash PVI. That's B-U-Y Raycon, R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash PVI to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash PVI. I think if we've learned anything about consciousness is that maybe there are, well, maybe there are some consciousnesses that are okay to snuff out, you know? Like what? Vladimir Putin? I don't know. I mean, gee whiz, watch, turn on the news. I mean, I think there's two things. One is that everything has a consciousness, and then the other thing is that, well, since it's conscious, therefore, it must. It must be respected mm. in the same way you respect someone else's consciousness. Yeah, yeah. I, I like this train of thought. Does it change ethics if you say consciousness is so common? Does that make it less precious in some way? Maybe, but my intuition is that it's, like a valuable property, if you've got a world with no consciousness and a world with some consciousness, where they're identical, but there's some conscious creatures in it, we typically want to go in the latter world. And then the more consciousness there is, we think that's a good thing. And this is a really popular view, right? There's over 80% of the world embrace one of the major world religions and procreation's right up their alley. <laughs> they love bringing more conscious life into existence. That seems like a good thing. 
Okay. So if wheat stalks were saying they have some sort of consciousness, even though they don't feel pain, right? Because what it is like to be a wheat stalk does not include feeling pain. So maybe this just does fit with a nice utilitarianism that we should respect that it's not uh, the lower creatures if they can reason. You know, that's not the only reason that we would respect them morally that can they suffer? So we can distinguish that the introduction to having enough sensory to feeling pain, but having consciousness go wider than the human spear rules out the kind of thing. So Descartes was sort of notorious for animals don't have consciousness. Do whatever you want to animals. I know that they look like they're in terrible pain, but they're just like clockworks. That's just the way the mechanism is set up to react, but they have no inner lives. So anything that gets us avoids that, which panpsychism certainly does, is good. I have a lot of students say things like, we shouldn't dare criticize these philosophers. They're geniuses. Like, who am I to criticize them? I think that's the perfect example of one of the stupidest <laughs> things a philosopher's ever said. Um, but yeah, here's a couple of other interesting things then, if you think that consciousness is everywhere. So it depends, in answer to your question, do like weeds and plants and trees feel pain? It does depend on type of panpsychist that you ask. So someone like Galen Strawson, who's perhaps one of the most famous panpsychists out there, says nothing changes. Like Ethics is basically the same. Like Why would plants develop the capacity to suffer or feel pain? They can't exactly get up and run away when you stamp on it. Then people like Philip Goth say, well, actually the thwarting of ends, like not watering a plant or cutting something down that's prime, he thinks there is a type of suffering there, like when you stop something for achieving its goal in mm-hmm. that way. And that surely does have some bigger implications. But he also suggests, and perhaps this one people can get on board with a little bit more, and certainly speaks to the Eastern religions in particular, is that when you think that consciousness is everywhere in the natural world and in, in wildlife, it might make you look after the natural world. Like It might encourage you to not see it as a mechanism for your own ends, but as something that has value and worth with it in its own right. And Philip Goffick is the example of well, we typically make fun of tree huggers, right? We think they're, they've lost it a little bit. And, and maybe it's because we see <laughs> tree huggers as like hugging a mechanism, like a washing machine. But if you think consciousness is everywhere, then it becomes more like hugging a cat or, or a friend, this conscious creature. Uh, so in that sense, you might think it's a little less kooky to go around hugging trees. I guess as long as the teleology does not go as far as Aristotle, that like, uh, yes, a a wheat stalk wants to grow. And so when you chop it down, you're stopping its natural growth. Uh, Well, Mm. when I drop a rock, it wants to go to the center of the earth. Oh, don't you stop that rock from falling. Man, can you just let the rock do what it wants to do? Because it seems that, you know, there's physical forces counteract each other all the time. We can't, are we really going to have as part of our ethic? Just, I guess maybe that's what oneness with nature, the Taoist, like, let it be is, let the rocks, let erosion happen. I think for the, the panpsychists, they're okay for rocks and stuff to fall <laughs> and for fire to reach the skies. It's just that they're not integrated enough or complex enough to be considered things that can suffer, like atoms and rocks don't suffer, right? But plant life, maybe, non-human animals, definitely. Mm-hmm. I guess the next, you know, who's suffering is, do we need to get a chain of suffering or from what's the most impactful suffering to the least impactful suffering? You know, How many wheat stalks have to suffer so I don't suffer from hunger, you know, and how hungry do I have to be to equal how many wheat stalks? Or is that even too, am I looking at it the wrong way even that? Maybe Mark knows the name of the philosopher I've got in mind, but there's a philosopher that says, when discussing animal rights and non-human animal suffering, says like, ask the hypothetical question, how many dogs would I have to throw off the edge of a ship instead of one human being? And he says the answer is infinite. 
So he'd throw infinite dogs off a ship forever. Uh, rather than let a, I was a thinking you suffer. might be talking about Peter Singer, but that does not sound like <laughs> Peter Singer. So no, I don't know who that who that might be. <laughs> yeah, he loves animal rights, but he just hates dogs. Peter Singer, like, he's got a massive <laughs> irrational prejudice. That's going to get really. I mean, they're going to start piling up in the ocean, an infinite number, hitting the propeller. That's going to get real. That's going to get rough after a while. I, I, you might get a rough. that might get become just. I don't want to do this anymore. And maybe that's. We just shouldn't be so glib about nature and, and not that we shouldn't necessarily eat animals or eat things or whatnot or live our lives, but perhaps thinking about nature is not just an obstacle to us like it was in 200 years ago. You know, the, the West is there to be conquered, the American West. It only exists for us to conquer it and instead see what it has to offer us and then plow it up for fields, but save some for a park, you know. So I, I want to thank you both for coming to the development meeting for uh, now we've got Robert Nozick's experience machine up and running. And uh, so it's our job to develop some further experiences that people could have uh, software. And I, I think, Bill, your, your point about what? nature, about, uh-huh. about experiencing, not just ex- like being in nature, but actually being nature. Could you, yes. I don't know, could you say a little more about that? Like what that would be like for the user? I want people to be a cloud, to know what it's like to be a cloud. I think Bill's onto something. I, I like the, the idea that maybe we can get people involved. But uh, Bill, were you thinking like clouds or like water droplets or like a cloud? Like where, where do we plug, plug them in at the. When do these water droplets become a cloud, Bill? These When's are amazing the- questions. These are amazing questions. Now, Mark, I see you rolling your eyes and you want to put an astronaut experience in the machine? You want to put a ballet dancer experience in the machine? I think we need to start with clouds. Bill, you do this every fucking week. Last week, it was when does a bald man become bald? Last, the week before, it was when does a pile of leaves become a pile of leaves? Now it's the cloud thing. More than two. What's your obsession with these gradated things? You're just trying to break the machine. I think that if we're going to build the experience machine, all right, and if we fill it with experiences that people could fill anyway, here's the experience of riding on a roller coaster, and you really feel like you're a roller coaster. Well, you know, anyone could ride on a roller coaster, okay? I want to be a cloud. I want to experience what it's like to be a cloud. I guess this is at least better. So, Bill, I was looking at your last submission of, of what it is like to be a particle in the Earth's mantle. Yes. And uh, as far as I could tell, it's just dark and silent. You, th- you really think that that is going to bring in the, the customers? Do you know how much more mantle than crust there is? Okay. It's a volumetric versus area thing. Okay. There's a lot of mantle. All right. Most of the earth is mantle. Most of the earth is mantle. Bill, we can, we can, you know, we can do anything with the experience machine, right? Like That's... we can experience, we can, the most vivid, like crazy yeah. Cool experiences. So just turning it off, it seems like that's essentially what you did. You, you made it into a sensory deprivation tank. Well, well you, I, I, look, here's the thing. All right. Hey, you, you could be an ancient Persian emir in a harem yeah. and have the most crazy 72 hours of your life. Okay. Cool. Great, that's yeah. a great uh, idea. Uh, well, I, Where have you, you've been holding the back on us. Because uh, it's cheap and it's easy. Okay. Well, all right. And I think that it implies that somehow our human experience is better than the experience of dirt, magma, clouds, not a leaf, but the stem that attaches a leaf to a tree. Bill, two things. First of all, don't use cheap and easy in a a derogatory way, but there's lots of good things in this life that are cheap and easy, and uh, my ex-wife is is one of them. Two. Wow. Okay. Wow. Are you okay? 
every time you want to turn turn into a cloud, turn the lights off, see darkness. Yeah. Is that see what you, really, you don't darkness. need an I want to see darkness, okay? You don't need I want to see, see, yeah, see, see I, I have to at least applaud Bill on, he really seems to have captured the experiential part of this. So Jack, I was looking at what you submitted last time and this, this roller coaster program, it's just me sitting there and there's a voice saying, you're on a roller coaster. You're on a roller coaster. You're on, it's just, it's too intellectual that I think you're, you're putting too much. I know you want the imagination of the user to do a lot of the work, but just having, having the words, you're on a roller coaster. I just don't think that that quite achieved what you were, were looking think, for. You didn't. You didn't. Where, where did you listen to my voice note? It, it was broken toaster. It wasn't roller coaster. Broken. Oh, jeez. Uh, so, okay, so that that maybe is a. I, I thought the roller coaster would have rolling, but a I see broken, if it's just a broken toaster. A then, broken you know, toaster. Then, then the only way to convey wow. that would just be to say, "Hey, you're a broken toaster," because that's the only way that we could. But is that how the broken toaster would experience being a broken toaster? Hearing, you know, some sort of self-definition. Wow, useless. U- useless to everyone. What, what's useless to everyone? A, a, a broken I, toaster. It seemed like that was sort of a Zen koan that, you know, I am a broken toaster. In other words, you know, I am a, a useless thing and that is the, nothing really has any use or everything. Ha- what can you? I was thinking that when toasters typically break, they, they do so in a way that they could smoke and. And the electricity goes like I'm at, like they fry, and I just kind of want to know what that that feels like. You know, do you, have, do you ever like when you make the toast in the morning, you just look at it and think, "I want to be inside you." <laughs> I had a cousin that uh, experienced something similar to that, and he was in the hospital for weeks. Really, uh- y- y'all are in luck. Last week, when I had that long holiday weekend, I took the 4K immersion recording machine, and I drove up to Lookout Mountain, and I recorded 15 minutes of cloud, okay? And I know it's just the beta version, and I know we've got some better stuff, but if you guys want to go ahead and step in the machine and put on the headgear and sit in the couches, I I think once you're a cloud, you'll get it, okay? I'm happy to try it. All right, all right. I'm I'm happy to have Jack try it. No, you're going to get in there too. You're going to get in there too. (laughs) I'm not doing it if you're not doing it. All right, I just, here's some Dramamine. I'm going to... Some some of these things. Right. Okay, it's a little much. Fuck! No! 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 Yeah, this, this no, is no, no, this no, is. No. Uh... Oh, it's so damp. I guess what I like about this is the feeling that of oneness with the other particles. I thought this was just going to be like I was just a head up in the sky, but I'm really. I'm feeling sort of a dissolution of consciousness into component parts. I wish you put us in different clouds. This is weird. I can hear. I can hear all of his thoughts. And wow! Oh. Wow! All right. Oh, we shit. got one convert. Right. We got one convert. <laughs> it's, <laughs> unplug me. Yeah, you got. I've got some papers, some non-disclosure agreements for you to sign. If if that's going to be because that could be career-ending. Let's let's uh, let's let's call this meeting. We're gonna we're gonna get the lawyers in here. Yeah, and, we'll stop okay. right there. Very nice. Yeah, we did. We did. We did. <laughs> Now, y'all, I had a top secret, something that I was trying to do in the scenes, and I realized, Jack, you may not have noticed. Mark may notice, needs something different in my performance, but it's something that, as this happens a lot, we have these moments where these ideas collide, and it's these cool collisions of ideas that happen in improv all the time, and they happen so often, in fact, that I don't think we can consider them to be just happenstance. It is kind of an engineered coincidence 
if that makes sense. These little mm-hmm. collisions happen so often, right, Mark? Well, I told, you, I told you beforehand what it was, but you're saying kisses that, off the philosophy. But you're well, saying I had written, I had written, I had written down my thing. Okay. And I can show you where I wrote it to prove that I had written down this idea earlier today on a three by five card. Did you just write clouds on the card? <laughs> I did not just write clouds. I wrote. If you can see it, it's a little. I have to make it's, it. It's quite my, my horrible chicken scratch. We, we we have to care. We have what? to care. How did that come into the scene? Well, well he, I was, his I character cared. definitely cared in both cases. Oh. That in in the frustration scene in the first one, he uh, oh. definitely was using not the lingo. Merely, using the lingo, Mark, I like it. He was using not merely uh, you know standing back and trying to humor our weirdness. We've done several of these scenes before where he's uh, trying to run some business and uh, I and or a guest are violating the implicit rules of engaging with that business. And he often, you know, as probably somebody (laughs) would do in the real thing, you know, tries to humor as much as possible. But this one, you know, you came out hot and it made it very more difficult to uh, not stop the scene. It's an improv and sketch comedy all over the place. This idea of frustration. It's different than anger. We read the anger, but actually what's happening is someone's wants and needs are being frustrated. But if the audience is going to care, they have to see the characters care in general. We can, there's some anti-humor stuff out there and some absurd humor out there. But in general, the people they're watching have to care about what's going on. They have, st- have some stakes, have some skin in the game. And which makes me think about everything has, perhaps everything does have a consciousness. Well, you know, even these, how, sorry, what, what was everything the, cares <laughs> that well, we have Every, to care that we have to care. And if things have a consciousness, we can't just dismiss it. The ethical issue, not that we have to like, you know, make sure we wash all the stones on the ground so they're clean, <laughs> but perhaps consider that things might have a consciousness and that we shouldn't be glib or cavalier about things and be purposeful in our actions, even when it's taking a fish out and eating it, even when it's cutting down some trees, but to have a purposefulness in mind. I like the idea of anyone who is a fan of panpsychism listening and the worry is that it gets caricatured into a, a really silly view and we've been like, you can be a cloud or a, a dysfunctional <laughs> toaster or just darkness. <laughs> like yeah. no serious yeah. candidates at all, straight to the... Yeah. This is, this is Another yeah. way, you know, when I was really thinking about this experience machine thing, the limitation is that it's a, a full human being experiencing mm. this thing, whereas... You would need some sort of neural interventions to how do you experience things the way that a stone in the mantle of the earth? Well, reduce your consciousness to a stone. You know, this is very Eastern of, you know, use mantras and the fact that, you know, that actually came up of you're in a broken toaster, you're in a broken toaster. You know, this this actually could be a way to try to uh, organically (laughs) shape your consciousness to ape some structure that it normally does not have, the normal one being the uh, free-flowing, my attention is always getting diverted by something. You know, at least there's some sort of alleged ability to neuroplasticity or something embedded in meditative practice. Imagine if you could step inside the mind of a schizophrenic or someone who struggles with any kind of mental illness, you know, and then step out again. That would, like, revolutionize our view of those things to be able to experience the, the world through the eyes of someone who struggles with how they perceive the world and how, and how they observe the world. I like the idea, sorry to go from a very serious point immediately to Mark's mantra of I'm a broken toast, I'm a broken toaster. <laughs> I, yeah. You should start like, a, you know, Sam Harris and some philosophers do like these meditation apps. You should have your own Mark and just, just try and <laughs> get toast. people to have these yeah. meditative out-of-body experiences of 
being yeah. weird and wonderful objects. And slowly fade it to, I'm a roller coaster from I'm a broken toaster and see if they <laughs> notice. And by the end, it's like, wait a minute, I'm a roller coaster. <laughs> there's, there's, I'm not a broken toaster, I'm a roller coaster. Yeah, when I'm did that just, happen? If I'm, I was going to have a big, a, powerful, huge thing, <laughs> I'm not just a broken yeah. toaster. Yes! And I zoom up and down the hills and through the loop-de-loop, look at me go. Look at me go. And there's no motor, it's all gravity. It just does it. Wow. If I were going to have a fifth podcast, so Jack, you get to experience, even though we've talked about and eventually maybe we'll have you on the first podcast, Partial Examined Life, this is the fourth podcast, so you get what I have time to prep for, which is not very much. But if I had a fifth podcast, I would only do it if someone could make software that would allow me to pump out sort of meditative mantras according to, I'm going to type in, I'm a broken toaster. I'm going to type, I'm a roller coaster. Say, over the course of 40 minutes, I want you to merge from one to the other, make a wave file out of that. Episode done. What's so you do? Partially examine life, nakedly examine music. Pretty much film? pop, a culture podcast is number pretty three. Much. Do you do pretty much pop all the time? It's every other week, just like this one. That's some serious commitment there, Mark. Fair all person. right, I will st- stop plugging in the in the body of the... <laughs> What's your second podcast? Have you started it yet? We haven't got a second. No, I've been doing like a mini tour of, of all the little philosophy podcasts and stuff. And it's been really interesting to see like how everyone does everything and all the various levels of preparation and some of the, <laughs> and some of the weird, wonderful lines of questioning. One of the interviews started the other day and they started just referencing like 70s random stand-up comedians that no one else like. <laughs> I, just, I have nothing to go on here. But what I was thinking a moment ago, this is like maybe a bit of a half-baked thought. We had Viz Simoniti on talking about art as political discourse. And one of the points in his paper was something like this. When you engage in art, like watch a film, read a book, etc., play a game, you can never know what it's like to be that person. So like, you couldn't read Camus the Stranger and be like, yeah, I know what it's like to be on death row. You couldn't read Handmaid's Tale. Be like, yeah, I know what it's like to be a, uh, the victim of misogyny. But maybe if you plugged yourself into the experience machine and you lived like this full Inception-esque life, which lasted quite a long time, if I lived up my whole life in that machine as someone who was persecuted of a particular group, then can I come out and be like, yeah, I've been the victim of like misogyny or racism <laughs> and uh, et cetera. Like, would I be allowed to say things like that? Would that count as me having like, the only thing missing there seems to be like that the experience was genuine rather than the simulation. Yeah. But can I, I say I some... know what it's like to be that? I, I'm not sure. Does that give you the street cred for having done it for real? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know there's some sci-fi stories where it's like going to jail is they implant 20 years of jail in your brain. And you just, you know, you get a shot or something and you wake up from surgery and it's like, I've just oh, been in God. jail for 20 years. You know, that was a deep space nine plot and it, yeah, yeah. I think it, it messed that character up or it really should have messed him up way more. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was yeah. out of sorts for two episodes or something. I don't remember. And then that. right back to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah I've been for 20 years. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I tend to think when there are stories that involve that kind of thing, like they wake up from it as if from a dream that you sort yeah. of remember. I just lived 40 years in this person's shoes, but like, cause you would just forget everything. I think there was another Star Trek thing where Jean-Luc Picard did the same thing where he was like on some planet. I don't remember what the setup was and like lived his life and got married and had kids and then came back. And, you know, wouldn't you just completely forget everything from before? <laughs> You'd just be like, I don't even know. <laughs> Who are you? Where am I? Yes. Is this heaven? Yeah. I thought I just died. Yeah. 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 David Pierce, we've mentioned transhumanism a moment ago. Like he, he does a reverse version of the Nozick experience machine where he asks, well, if you could take the pill now and 
leave the matrix. If you knew, if I said, this is a simulation, right? You told me as part of the simulation, you wanted me to run up to you at this moment in time and say, it's time to go, but you've got the choice. Would you leave this world and everything you know for the genuine real world or would you stick around? And it seems that, so Nozick's point, the experience machine is no one would actually get in and want to be a cloud or be a broken toaster. Because as great as those things might be, they're not authentic experiences. They're not real. It's akin to suicide, he says. But when, when we play it the other way around, I think I'd stick around. Like I'd rather ignorance is bliss and all that jazz. I'd rather have yeah, yeah. This, this world. Can you make me young again? Great. I'll stick around here. That, that'd be wonderful. Are you wait, I'm a cloud in the other world? Yeah. Take, take me out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. We talked about the latest Matrix movie on Pretty Much Pop and how oh, that cool. sort of treats the characters as if we've put you in here and we've given you a family and stuff. But as soon as you wake up, you're just like, screw those guys. That wasn't real. <laughs> I don't care about yeah. any of that. Where I'd be like, please just, <laughs> I would miss everybody. I don't want to yeah. wake up. Talking of improv, I haven't seen The Matrix, and I've been pretending to everybody that I've seen The Matrix ah. for so long. And as a philosopher, everyone wants to talk about The now Matrix. Now the scoop. Right? Like, you have the scoop. Did you, did you see a moment? I was trying to give it a, like, like The Matrix, yeah, and then I immediately you know. abandoned the analogy. I was like, yeah. you guys know The Matrix. Yeah, you're cool. Yeah, well, it's about 85% karate. Let's just be perfectly honest. <laughs> and the rest is psychobabble and trying to build characters that are quote-unquote interesting, which succeed and fail at various degrees. All right. Well, you can control whether your uh, listeners will have migrated over here and heard your private thoughts as if they were with you in the cloud, or whether this remains a, a concealed, uh, a sealed, an esoteric experience that mm-hmm. only only uh, the true American loving uh, <laughs> improv, o- open to improv people, a very tiny subsection of your audience. <laughs> we didn't even touched on artificial intelligence, machine learning, machine intelligence, and is that at what point? Does that become conscious? That's above my pay grade, that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had to put the uh, judge bot in a timeout for several weeks here as we've had different guests on. And I think um, my plan is I've put her in a black and white room and I've given her a lot of books about color. (laughs) And I want to see if when she finally comes out, since I erased the color memories, whether she has actually something added to her world by experiencing color rather than just reading about it. So we'll see how that goes. That's very cruel. It's very cruel. It'll be instructive for all all concerned. So Jack, you're stuck as being the judge between these two lessons. Do you want to just recap your lesson, Bill? That we all have to care. That's what I wrote down. Okay. And that in our improv scenes, if they're going to have gravity and be more than just a list of funny things and actually be human interaction, the people involved want to be involved in that interaction. They have some stakes and it's important that those people are in those moments. And without that, well, it's just people standing around saying funny things. And hey, maybe you're really clever, but you know, maybe you're not 12 minutes clever. And we can Am I judging in between well, Bill and so yes, yeah, so, <laughs> so so we can interpret of that It's what the prospect of these two lessons have for uh, improving the world. Let's say so, just to make Bill sound even more pretentious than it was. That it's not just like <laughs> for those very small percentage of people that are going to explicitly do improv comedy scenes. That is not something maybe, but I find almost all of his lessons apply to performance more generally and life being present more generally. So actually going into your podcast or your job or whatever with some definite affect and not merely letting things bounce off, you know, that seems a fairly important thing. But is it more impressive? Is it more important? Is it more vital to the world than this idea of panpsychism that only 
a few fruity <laughs> philosophers care about. So you be the judge. Who won this time? Which lesson, philosophy or improv? I'm not sure, but doesn't panpsychism give you like the ability to care as well? Like, is wasn't that the message? That yes, it's the same message. It was you should care more. I know you but... already you already had the sales pitch for the philosophy one, so I was <laughs> yeah. I was downgrading it. I think Bill put it very eloquently, and he clearly cared in the speech he was giving, which gives a nice meta point in his overall theme, which couldn't possibly be conveyed by the boring philosophers in their black and white rooms with their dusty chalkboards. So (laughs) you've made me care more, Bill. Column improv. All right. Well, heck, thanks so much, Jack, for Mm. sharing your wisdom and your uh, presentness and your caring with us on this Fine day. Indeed. Wonderful stuff. And I really enjoyed your improv, man. You had some really smart, funny things. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I really enjoyed learning for you today, Bill and Jack. And I enjoyed learning from y'all. I enjoyed learning from you, Mark and Bill. And scene. We, okay. That's the end. Scene. <laughs> yes. That's okay. the end. <laughs> Oh boy, that was a fun episode. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast at philosophyimprov.com. Why not look in the upper right there where there's a little widget to help you leave a nice rating and review for this podcast? We would sure appreciate that. And if you want more of these episodes to be made, I also would love you to go to the support link on that page. You can learn about a couple ways that you can, for a very, very, very small amount, show that you like the show, that you care enough about it happening to step up. And in return, the version of this and future episodes you would get, not only would be missing the advertising material in the middle but includes a whole post-game segment, where in this case we talk to Jack about his various projects, plus incest, religious improv, laughing during improv, and more. Again, that's philosophyimprov.com slash support. Thanks. Maybe I